Once upon a time on a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occurred, there was a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut and there was only one boat, but a few devoted members kept watch over the sea with no thought for their own safety. Search for those who were lost. Eventually, some of those who were saved and others in the community, community wanted to be associated with the life-saving station. And so they gave of their time and money and effort to support its work. New boats were purchased, new crews were trained, and the little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that there should be a more comfortable place as the first refuge for those who had been saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in a bigger building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members and the surrounding community. They decorated it beautifully as it had become a kind of club Fewer and fewer members were interested in going out on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do that work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decorations, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where new members were initiated. But about this time, a large ship wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick and in need, and the beautiful club was in chaos. Immediately, the building committee had a shower house built outside of the club so the victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before they were brought inside. At the next meeting, there was a split among the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the social life. The original members insisted on life-saving as their primary purpose, and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. They were voted down and told that if they wanted to continue to save the lives of all those sorts of people who got shipwrecked, they could begin their own life-saving station. And so they did. And as the years went by, the new life-saving station experienced the same sort of changes that had occurred in the old life-saving station. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. And history continued to repeat itself over and over again, such that if you visit that seacoast today, you will find several exclusive clubs along the shore and not a life-saving boat to be found. Now, whether you are a life-saving station, a church, or an individual, it can be challenging to overcome the influence that the outside world tries to exert on you. Like the parable of the life-saving station, this morning's New Testament lessons are full of people struggling with the expectations that others have placed upon them. In 1 Corinthians, we hear Paul in his least impressive posture defensive. Over and over again in both Corinthian letters, 
we hear Paul arguing for his rightful place as an apostle. There were many members of the church in Corinth who wanted Paul to be something different than he was. The rich wanted Paul to side with them, to make the church an exclusive club with only insiders participating in worship and decision-making. Those who were previously Jewish wanted Paul to add a few more Torah restrictions onto the church. The Greeks wanted Paul to ease up on the whole, you shouldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols thing. Some just flat out didn't trust Paul. They thought he was a liar and a scam. All throughout the letters, we hear Paul defending himself and his calling against these outside voices. To the point that in our lesson this morning, he simply laments, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Sharing the good news of God's love in Christ was Paul's sole identity, his singular mission. He repeatedly reminds his audiences that this is also the mission to which they are called. Whether speaking to Greeks or Jews, rich or poor, strong or weak, the task of a disciple of Jesus, as Paul sees it, is to preach the gospel in word and deed. And no amount of outside influence was going to change that. We might ask, how can Paul be so sure? I mean, after all, we have a pretty nice life-saving station built here. We have 11 HVAC units to care about. We've got carpets to clean and floors to shine and salaries to pay. It's so tempting to allow getting butts in pews, funds in the plates, and doing church to get in the way of loving God, loving our neighbor, and proclaiming resurrection. Paul knew all about these kinds of worries, and still he was certain that the core of his mission, of our shared mission, is to share the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ. And Paul could be certain because of example, the example of Jesus in lessons like our gospel lesson today. We're still at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. If you recall from last week, we heard about Jesus' first public act a sermon in a synagogue in Capernaum, and the healing of a man with an unclean spirit. News of that event spread quickly throughout the town, and before Jesus and his disciples could finish dinner, and just as the Sabbath was ending, the front of Peter's house was jammed full as the whole town came, hoping that Jesus might heal them and those they loved. Jesus had healed the man with the unclean spirit and Peter's mother-in-law of their afflictions. And he went on to heal many people and cast out numerous demons and to generally wear himself out in the name of ministry. Even Jesus wasn't immune to the pressures of the expectations of the outside world. But he knew what he had to do next. 
So very early that next morning, Jesus stole away for some time alone in prayer. There in silence, he reconnected with God and with himself and remembered that he was not called primarily to be a miracle worker, but rather his calling like Paul's and like ours was to preach the good news of God's love. And so when his disciples hunted him down and encouraged him to get back to work, healing the rest of the people in town, Jesus was emphatic, that is not my calling. No, we need to leave this town and go to other villages who need to hear the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. Throughout the rest of Mark's gospel, we will see that Jesus didn't stop healing people. He didn't cease to cast out demons, but all along he was clear that his first call above all others was to invite people to repentance and to share the good news. Here at Christ Church, we have a mission statement. You hear it from us all the time. You might be able to recite it yourself by now. This week, I realized that what I've often seen as three distinct pieces of our calling might actually be two means by which we live into the third. We are a community of Christ servants who seek to worship God with joy and wonder and to learn and grow together so that we might fulfill our primary vocation and radiate God's love to all. That is the principal mission of this particular life-saving station. To share the good news of God's love in Christ in word and deed to a world that desperately needs to know it. May God help us to always remember that calling and bless our work. Amen.